Welcome to Simplify. I'm Caitlin Schiller. I'm Ben Schumann Stoller. And we are back. Big time. Yeah. I don't know. It's been a little while. It's been a little while. It's been a little while. (laughs) (laughs) So it's been a little while. We said that we would take a little bit of time away to come back and make Simplify even better for you. One major way that we planned on doing that was getting all of your feedback about what we should change, how we should get better, the ways that we should revolutionize Simplify. And we found you basically said you want more Simplify more regularly and please don't go away between seasons. The goal is to come back more regularly. And by more regularly, we mean frequently and not pack all these good ideas into singular seasons, but publish on a regular basis. And offer Simplify in other places. I mean, we've we've done stuff in the Blinkist app before, but we're going to have guides, which is going to have tools, extra conversations, cut part of inter- like edited bits of the interviews. Right. Can I just say, if you ever wanted a Simplify deluxe experience, this is it. And it's basically in the form of a guide. It is inside the Blinkist app. So you'll look for Simplify Guides. There will be one to correspond to all of our new episodes. Um, this one is with Forrest and Rick Hansen, which we'll talk more about in a moment. But you can just go into the app, check that out. You'll get pieces of the interview that we didn't actually get to put in the podcast version. We record for a whole hour with these amazing guests and usually end up using only about half an hour of that. So you're going to get a bunch of stuff that otherwise you never would have heard, more book recommendations, and ways to spark conversations around these topics, which is a thing that you also said you loved. You love sharing Simplify with your people. So a great way to share is to have great conversations, and we want to help you do that. Let's go into today's episode. That was a lot of housekeeping, but yeah. like, what people really like is you talking to really smart people. I mean, let's be honest. Been such a flatterer. I love it. Today we have guests that we love to work with. It is Rick and Forrest Hansen of the Being Well podcast, which is one of the main ways that you can find them on the internet and everywhere else. Um, and Rick Hansen has also written a bunch of books. Yeah, Rick Hansen is a bona fide science man, I think you could say. Some people would say a scientist, a neuroscientist. Um, he's Some of the books that I most love that he's written, and, and he writes some stuff with his son, and they do the podcast together. His son is Forrest Hansen. Um, hardwiring happiness, resilient, Buddha's brain. These are like some of the some of the work, that, yeah, some of the books. Exactly, and the most recent one, making great relationships. Right, and that's what you two. That's what you three actually talked about today, right? We did mention it, but we did something kind of different for this episode, which is we jumped into a bunch of common misconceptions, stuff that you get see filtered around Instagram, around TikTok, around the internet in general. Kind of these really um, pat little lies that people tell about what is and isn't possible with the human brain. Um, Rick Hansen's big thing is that neuroplasticity, what is it? He calls it positive neuroplasticity. And that means that you can always change your brain for the better. So we took a look at some common misconceptions and did a little bit of myth busting and also mentioned his lovely book, Making Great Relationships. Which came out this year, right? It came out in 2023. I believe so, yeah. Yeah, it's really new. Yeah. Um, I mean, normally I ask you before the interview, what should we look out for? But it sounds like you just said it. I think we're looking out for some kind of myth busting, some clear ideas on some things we get wrong, maybe, and how we think about the brain. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But I would say if there's one big thing, yeah. we can talk about it again at the end. It's take in the good. Take, take in a the minute good. to take in the good. And you'll hear more about that in just a moment. So let's roll the tape. Don't forget, after the um, interview, we recommend books. We'll recap sort of the main points. And then... Oh, and we'll also give you a discount code for Blinkist so that you can get in there and try it for free for two weeks and listen to this awesome guide and all the extra Simplify material that you didn't know you wanted. Sweet. All right. (laughs) Let's roll it. All right.
Rick and Forrest Hansen, thank you for joining me today. It is such a pleasure to have you. Welcome to Simplify. I've been excited about this ever since I got the first whiff that it might be possible. I always like to ask Simplify guests to introduce themselves the way that they like to be introduced. And this is really unique. We don't often have two guests on at the same time, and especially not guests who are related. So maybe... uh, Forrest, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. Yeah. My name is Forrest Hansen. I'm an author and content creator, and I host the Being Well podcast uh, with my dad, Rick Hansen, who is very happily here with us today. So, Dad, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I am truly happy to be here. I am the incredibly grateful father of Forrest Hansen. Aww. Alongside (laughs) that, I'm a psychologist, a longtime therapist, a writer, and a senior fellow at UC Berkeley's Greater Good Science Center. And I'm also the founder of the Global Compassion Coalition. Having a a father-son duo is very, very cool. Very interesting. Um, Your podcast is wonderful. It's, yeah, everyone should listen to it. Of course, one of the things that, um, that I cherish about it so much is that it's such good, clear information on mental health and well-being and just how to live a better life. The first thing that that I was thinking about, this is a truism we see everywhere. If you are at all connected to the inspirational quote world on the internet, something very frequently that you'll see is, until you love yourself, you can't love anyone else. And I can definitely see how there are some some aspects of truth there. And then there are some aspects that, that make me scratch my head because uh, love is so relational, obviously. And I would just love to hear your takes on that, especially because, Rick, you've released a, a new book very recently. Mm-hmm. And the first part is all about befriending yourself, which is absolutely related to loving yourself first. So, yeah, what do you think about until you love yourself, you can't love anyone else? Three quick points. First is these kind of assertive generalizations are almost always wrong. Uh Second, it's actually the case. Just like a scientist. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There are millions, billions of people who have a very warm heart, who are compassionate, they're kind, they're friendly, they stand up for justice, they love others. And still, deep down, they don't have self-compassion. It's hard for them to get on their own side. Uh, They're not loyal to themselves. So the assertion is just flatly wrong. There's a grain of truth in it, though, which is that in addition to being for for others and caring about others, it's also extremely important to be caring toward yourself. And that's Mm -hmm. exactly right. The first part of my book um, is about befriending yourself, has a lot of little practices in it. The first one is be loyal to yourself. And Mm -hmm. it's a challenge for many people. And one of the things that Forrest and I talk about in the Being Well podcast are ways that people can build up that sense of being on their own side, being a friend to themselves, mm-hmm. being an ally to themselves. So finishing, as important as that is to be kind to yourself and good to yourself, it's still factually true that many people can be loving toward others without being loving toward themselves, unfortunately. Yeah, I think that a a part of this that gets lost sometimes is that being a good valuer of other people, whatever that looks like to you, if that looks like Mm -hmm. a romantic relationship or an intimate relationship, great. If that looks like being a good friend to others, great. Wherever your personal values are with that, you can 
you know, find a way to value others. Like that can itself be something that you then turn around and look at about yourself and go, hey, this is something that I can derive some self-worth from. This is something that I can appreciate about myself in a meaningful way. I have so many friends that value that they are a good friend, and that becomes a kind of antidote experience to themselves that then helps them over time develop a greater capacity for self-worth and self-esteem, self-love, whatever you want to call it. Um, and so I think that's like a big part of this that also gets lost, that it's actually in the in the giving and in the receiving that we we get better at both, right? When we when we take it in, we get better at giving it to ourselves over time. When we give it to others, we get better at giving it to ourselves over time. So there's this kind of like natural flowing back and forth that can happen that I think is like a really beautiful part of being human. Beautifully said. Yeah, there's there's something cyclical there. What this is taking me into is gonna be, oh no, kind of Cosmic, I don't know, or maybe not. But <laughs> anyway, that's not Forrest Brand. I'm the, I'm the cosmic kid. Us, all right, what's the what's the timestamp on this? It's, I love this. All right, go ahead, Dad. Well, super. I'm brief. into it. <laughs> yeah, I think almost everybody uh, has the sense of a kind of field of decency, basic decency, basic uh, fairness, basic goodwill, the feeling of that, and which then can become increasingly tender and emotionally saturated with qualities of friendliness, compassion, kindness, even love. So there's this general sense of that. I'll call it a general sense of that, which then includes all beings. It includes yourself, as well as the person sitting next to you on the bus, I mean, there are different sorts of relationships. We have appropriate boundaries and all the rest of that, but it's it's a more nonspecific kind of goodwill uh, that encompasses all beings. And in the resting of it, uh, no one's left out, right? The person you love is not left out. You are not left out. And how we act toward various beings in this field depends on them, including the ways we act toward ourselves. But there's a more general sense of it and in that, these distinctions between do you love yourself or do you love them or how do you love yourself when you are yourself? What? You know, <laughs> it can get a little confusing. Those kind of distinctions fade away. And this opening into love broadly and being lived by love in a broad sense while not being a chump, which is a really important ongoing topic, um, <laughs> is, is just a beautiful good thing. Uh huh. While not being a chump. What do you mean when yep. you say that? Yeah. <laughs> Man, that's the that's like half of my book, Making Great Relationships, because <laughs> it's the combination that's tricky, right? It's pretty straightforward yeah. to be kind and decent and so forth. You, you know, it may be hard, but it's straightforward. It's also pretty straightforward to set boundaries, be firm, stand up for yourself, speak truth to power. Da -da. How do you bring them together? Mm -hmm. And it's that feeling in which you're you're resting in a place of calm strength and clarity and clear seeing with a, a sense of the principled basis for sticking up for yourself. It's okay mm -hmm. to stick up for yourself. That's like a breakthrough idea for many people. Mm -hmm. You matter too. And especially yeah. it's a breakthrough idea for people who've been routinely socialized, like typically girls and women, among other groups, to, to feel like they don't matter so much. Anyway, so it's, there's a place where you have both that sense of calm strength and groundedness with an open heart. You're not wishing others ill. Uh, you may not want to be friends with them. You may want to stop doing business with them. You want to vote them out of office. You may want to push them out of your bed. <laughs> but you don't harbor hatred for them. 
You don't allow yourself to get poisoned by hatred and rancor and vengeful fantasies. It's that mm. intersection of the two. And you grow it by growing both aspects and then increasingly growing their blend. That, that was a really concise summary of like most of mental health in a nutshell, which is, <laughs> which is bringing together disparate aspects, which is something that we've talked about on the show recently, where there's this really funny thing that you see over and over again in the psychology world, mental health, personal growth, whatever you're doing, which is that there's this balance between two aspects that seem initially contradictory in some way. But the more that you explore it, the more that you find that they're they're both strengthened by the presence of the other is maybe a way we could put it. Where um, like intimacy and autonomy inside of a relationship, the mm -hmm. the more that I learn that I can take a step back from somebody, the more comfortable I become taking a step into the relationship, right? And then there are also situations where people are like so far away from their partner, and um, they learn over time to become more comfortable in intimacy with other people and like that kind of intimate connection with them. And in the same way, as Rick was saying a second ago, when we become more authoritative, more assertive in some ways, it can sometimes make it easier for us to be kind and loving and caring. You know, like there's this natural balance there, this movement back and forward from one to the other. And we just see that all the time, like healing from painful experiences. You want to get close enough to the, the material that you're working with that you can interact with it without getting so close that you become overwhelmed by it. Um, so there's this kind of pendulation that happens a lot of the time. Yeah. You want to be warm, not singed. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great way to put it. You want to be warmed, not singed. <laughs> I like that a lot. Yeah. And yeah. in this too, definitely tied for first place as the best way to build up a sense of your own worth and the capacity to be kind, even loving toward yourself, is to repeatedly have experiences in which others are caring toward you, mm. even in simple ways. Yeah. They're just including you or they recognize you or they appreciate you in some way. Additionally, perhaps they like or even love you. And when you have the opportunity uh, to experience that, because it is the fact at the time, then take in the good of that experience through positive neuroplasticity, mm. repeatedly hardwire that experience <laughs> of being cared about inside yourself, which is a really um, powerful way to grow the sense and the capacity of being able to be caring toward yourself. And I think this actually nicely leads us into the next thing that I wanted to talk with you two about. I think there might even have been an entire episode on this, but the difference between self-esteem and self-worth, I guess I'd always understood that there was there was a difference there, but until I heard you articulate it, it didn't click for me. And once it did, it felt really important. And I walked around for like a week saying to people, did you know there's a difference between self-worth and self-esteem? Let me tell you about it. Let me send you this link. It was it was really goofy, you but that's strange, pretty much how I live Caitlin, my life. But in a wonderful <laughs> <laughs> But there are a lot of people walking around who seem to have high self-esteem. And we'd imagine that means they have high self-worth too. And that is not necessarily true. So I would love it if you could you could tell us a little bit about the difference between high self-esteem and high self-worth or just self-esteem and self-worth in general. Well, I think that you can make a real argument that the great plague of social media is uh, a lot of self-esteem without a lot of underlying self-worth. Wow. And right on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we... For better or worse right now, we live in kind of a performative age. I mean, part of this is just because like AV material is so easy to acquire. We all have a fantastic camera sitting in our pocket. It's very easy to 
uh, share the experiences that we're having with other people and to share them because we want to be validated in them. And that by and large is, a, is the search, the quest for self-esteem. You know, like self-esteem by and large is framed psychologically as being about uh, some combination of your perception of your accomplishments and your ability to name quote unquote objectively what you've done and whether or not you appraise yourself as being a quote unquote good person. Um, so some combination of those often go into self-esteem. Self-worth is this more more internalized, deeper sense of valuing yourself just as you are. We talk a lot on the podcast about your being and therefore you have value in the same way that other beings have value just for just for going on living um, and that kind of being enough. And we could get into a whole social commentary thing here about, you know, the problems with capitalism and all of that. But like part of one of the major issues is that it reduces people to what they do as opposed to what they are. And that maybe is a succinct way to, to talk about the difference between self-esteem and self-worth. What else do you want to add here, Dad? Uh, just the emphasis that self-esteem tends to be cognitive, conceptual. I've mm, had mm -hmm. clients over the years who could give yeah, me a master's thesis on their many accomplishments and talents who felt like a bad person deep down inside. And yeah. so much of the foundation of self-worth lives in our experiences with others, particularly when we're young. And those the residues of those experiences are often preverbal or heavily loaded on sensations and emotions, somatic in other words, they're embodied. It's a deeper level. And that's where self-worth lives. The roots of self-worth are in deeply embodied experience that's emotional and sensory. And way up top, yeah, there's a place for knowing that you've accomplished this or that and being able to talk yourself off the ledge that you're not a total loser just because your boss raised her eyebrows at you in a meeting. But deep down inside, what is? what do you feel like? How do you feel about yourself? And that's where self-worth really lives. So I'm fine with people developing both of them, but if, if I had to pick between high self-esteem or high self-worth, I'd pick high self-worth anytime. And curiously, which is so great, it's that the more people actually experience deep self-worth, the less of an asshole they become, the less narcissistic, <laughs> the less arrogant, the less of a bully, the less yeah. manipulative around their image. You know, I love people who, you know, go around on social media, my brand is authenticity. <laughs> like what? <laughs> so it's really interesting. The more we feed the hungry heart and the more the hungry heart brings a big spoon and takes it in, <laughs> right? The less oh. grasping and craving people become over time. I love that image. So I'll, I'll say two things that are really practical that have been yeah. um, actually Super important for me because I grew up with very little mm -hmm. low self-worth. I had somewhat yeah. high self-esteem. Like I knew I was fairly smart. I was doing okay in school. I was, But deep down, I did not feel lovable, likable. You know, I felt like yeah. the runt of the litter cast out off to the side. Mm -hmm. And um, two things here. Well, in addition to what I've named, the internalization of experiences with others who care about you in a whole range of ways. So it doesn't have to be soulmate love. It could be the person you're just sort of joking with where you get your coffee. Okay. In addition to that, um, genuinely and in a way that's fair, 
recognizing your efforts, recognizing your good intentions, recognizing what you actually do accomplish, much as you would recognize those in a friend, and bringing that fair discernment and recognition to yourself. That's really important, and not judging yourself by a different set of standards than you would apply to others. That's really useful. Notably, your efforts, your trying, your sincerity. Because of the brain's negativity bias, we notice the one goof amidst 99 accomplishments each day. The third is as best you can, be willing to claim for yourself this kind of sacred recognition that you routinely apply to other people in which you see that they are a basically good person. Can you see yourself as a basically good person? Caitlin, you and I, we just met here, really, about half an hour ago. I can see that you're a basically good person. You know, I'm sure you, you, don't, you don't have to have a halo or sainthood, whatever, but I, we can see that about others. Can you see that in yourself? For many, it's, it's like the final taboo to recognize mm. yourself as a basically good person. What does it look like when you say, um, as much as you can, try to internalize these positive moments that you have with people? What is practically like what? What is that process? Is it pausing and, and thinking, wow, I'm having a really nice conversation with these people right now, and this is meaningful to me, Is it, or is it something else? Yeah. Well, the long answer is in my book, Hardwiring Happiness, and also in Resilient, which Forrest and I wrote together. The short answer mm -hmm. is have it, enjoy it. Have the experience that's valuable. Don't just know that they like you or appreciate you. Let yourself feel it. So have the experience. And then grounded in hardcore brain science, summarized in the famous saying, neurons that fire together, wire together, enjoy it. Keep them firing together. My uh, go-tos about this are to stay with it for a breath or longer, or at least half a breath, at least a few seconds. Stay with it for a breath or longer. Second, feel it in your body. So it's not just a head-based concept. And third, be aware of what feels good about it. Technically, as you highlight the reward value of an experience, that increases dopamine and norepinephrine activity in your brain in the hippocampus, which is the front end of building up the residues of lived experience in your own body. Those three, stay with it for a breath or longer, try to feel it in your body, um, and be aware of what feels good about it. And around that, treat yourself like you matter. It's okay mm -hmm. to take it in. It's there. It's real. Why not? Why not bring that big spoon, right? Why not take it in? And, you know, each time you do it won't change your life. Usually, once in a while it will because there's going to be a million-dollar boom moment where something important lands. But most of it is little, but still, bit by bit, synapse by synapse, neuron by neuron, um, you gradually build up inner strengths of various kinds, including in this case mm. the inner strength of feeling genuinely cared about by other people. Mm. I think the next logical place to go is this idea that uh, some some older relative of each of ours has probably said to us before, people don't change or people never change. Mm -hmm. And it seems like that is demonstrably untrue. Could you just speak a little bit about that? Oh, I have a serious rant about it, but I will try to restrain. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> don't bother. Let's, yeah. I'm here for it. <laughs> Well, first off, just think about the, the, the political purposes or uses of that statement or the institutional ones. Because if people don't change, can't change, why bother? 
Why bother investing in schooling? Why bother investing in social emotional programs? Why bother investing in mental health? Why bother um, helping people to become more resilient in human resource settings? Why bother? Why, why bother with the whole enterprise of the path of awakening or the many paths of awakening around the world, including in the indigenous people of the world? First point. Second point, um, it's just clearly demonstrably wrong. There's incredible levels of evidence that people who have mental health issues can be helped to suffer less, to be less depressed, to be less anxious, to get better control of their impulses, to come out of an addictive process with drugs or alcohol, all of it. That's major change. You know, if you think of the range of human experience from minus 10 to plus 10, if you're underwater, if you're below zero, there's tremendous evidence that if you take steps, practical steps, you know, over time, almost certainly you can rise. Beyond that, there's also tremendous evidence that people get benefit from sustained efforts uh, at self-improvement of one kind or another. And we've all known ways in which we've changed many important things over time. We're no longer bothered by this or that like we used to. We've, we've come through a grieving process in some way. We're more skillful. Change is skillful. You know, skillfulness is change. All the rest of that. We, we've seen that directly. And then last, there's this notion of the so-called hedonic treadmill. It's just wrong. It's a generalization that might apply to some people, but in general, there's a lot of evidence that people can improve over time their sort of resting state in that minus mm -hmm. 10 to plus 10 range. Um, mm -hmm. And very few people are in the resting state of eight or nine or 10, but there clearly are some people who are just rested in profound well-being, which mm. doesn't look like ecstatic fireworks. That's not sustainable in the right. nervous system and physiology, but a profound mm -hmm. sense of contentment in the present and, and radiant love and bone-deep inner peace while feeling all that you're feeling along the way and being engaged in society as well to help it be better. That's possible. And so for me, to finish, I guess, it's really important to deal with the bad for sure, wherever you are, it's real. Wherever you are, in the in the swamps, you know, or in the plains or the foothills, the mountain meadows, or at the highest peaks, deal with where you are. Deal with the bad, while also turn to the good. Don't deny the possibility of what is also good alongside what is bad. And then as you turn to the good, take in the good. Take in the good along the way. Defeat yourself and build up more and more inside that you can also offer to others. I feel like um, the theme of this, this conversation has been taken the good. To maybe add something just really quickly here that gets to the, uh, the change piece that dad was talking about and that you asked us about, Caitlin, there's something that's called the end of history illusion. And it was something that I learned about pretty recently. So let's take that older person that you were referring to a second ago who gave you the like, oh, people can't change. Everyone just is what they are. Well, you can ask them, hey, like, are you pretty different now than you were when you were 15 years old? What are they going to say? They're going to be like, oh, yeah, I'm so different. I was such a young, dumb kid back then. I didn't know all <laughs> the things I know now and kids these days and blah, 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 blah. Right. OK, sure. So people can do that. They can look back over their life and be like, wow, yeah, 20 years ago, I was a really different person. But we have this thing that happens in our heads called the end of history, which is that once we get up to now, 
we assume that things will just keep on being the way that they are forever. We're mm. really, really good at looking back over our lives and seeing the differences, but we're really bad at projecting forward. We're really bad at saying 20 years from now, I will be just as different from the person that I am now as I am from the person I was 20 years ago. But mm. if you ask people in a kind of procedural way to like do this over time, they always say they're radically different 10 years later. Again and again and again. We have these very long-term longitudinal studies of, of people over time. Um, and they always keep on saying that they're growing and changing and becoming different. And I think that what's great about my dad's work is that he's sort of identified one key aspect of that that helps people keep on growing and changing in the ways that they want to grow and change as opposed to letting it kind of be directed by the by the vicissitudes of life or just like by what happens to people. Um, but we're always changing. And so the question is like, well, how do you want to change? And mm. I think that that's kind of the central thing that we explore on the podcast and that my dad explores through his work. Welcome to the bookend where we end with books. Yes, and more talk about that lovely episode with Rick and Forrest. Yeah, should we do it? It's been a long time since we've done a bookend. It is. It has. It is. Yeah, <laughs> but I'm excited. I have a really good book. Do you? Yeah, I do. Okay. But I kind of want to get into the. I want to get into the meat a little bit. Like, what did you? What did you? What do you remember from your talk with the Hansons? Mm, I remember some key phrases like "love without being a chump," yeah, that's good. <laughs> which I loved. I thought it was so great. Um, and I, I, that whole section about having to love yourself before loving someone else, it came, it, I think it, it underscored to me again, my, my grand unified theory of what being a grown up is. I mean, I have a few, but one of them, one of the really strong ones is that being, being a, like a whole grown up person is learning how to comfortably be in the middle most of the time, not at extremes. Like, don't be horribly hard on yourself. Don't think that you're like, you know all of the gods in the universe's gift to earth. Yeah. Um, so finding the middle with loving yourself, loving other people, yeah, exerting yourself, et cetera. Yeah, when, when Rick says stuff like hardwire, this is a quote, hardwire the experience of being cared about. Mm. But there, it does feel like something's being ossified. Something's coming to, a, a, like something's firming up. Yeah, I would I would I would think of it as coming into focus because you can always get knocked out of focus again. Yeah. And that is a really normal human experience as well. You you think that you see something really clearly and then a different life event or a new perspective comes in and kind of whacks the lens a little bit and you have to refocus and that is totally okay. The Hansen's saying it's part of the human experience. The important thing is that you can you can change your brain for the positive or in directions that you wish to. Maybe you want to change it toward the negative. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe you're just too positive. I do know some people like that. It's not me. Um, and you do that by taking time to really notice your human experience and not, as you just said, Ben, hardwire the fact the, the, the fact of being cared about. When you have a really nice experience with someone, take a second and think, wow, this is really nice. This matters. And it's okay to take that second. It's not cheesy. It's not self-indulgent. It's a really important um, part of the process of changing your brain. Right. Treat yourself like you matter, mm. and and treat moments like they matter a little bit. I think yeah. that's. I there was a there was part of the conversation when you were, when Rick was saying you know just doing that, just turning to the good a little bit, just thinking about the good a little bit. Um, most of the time, it won't change your life, but little by little, it will actually change your brain. It's practically realistic to be like, yeah. look, this is actually how the brain works. It develops over 
over much time and over much behavior. Many um, experiences. Yeah. Yeah. Shavings make a pile. Shavings make a pile. <laughs> yeah. I like the whole big spoon thing. Yeah. Oh, you remember the big spoon? Yeah. The, the hungry heart brings a big spoon. Is that yeah. what you said? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, why not? I love the, why not bring a big, big spoon? Absolutely. You know, what's like, why, like, why not? Bring a ladle. Bring a ladle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you want to do books? Yeah, let's do books. Um, how about, you'll go first. Okay. So I mentioned, I think in the intro, positive psychology. Um, but what the book I want to recommend is from Martin Seligman, who's Seligman, who's who is a positive psychologist, and he was also the head of the American Psychological Association. Mm-hmm. Written a bunch of books, but the book I wanted to bring is *The Optimist Child*. Mm, okay. And the reason why is that I don't know if you remember in the interview, Rick Hansen is talking about self-esteem and self-worth, and talking about that self-esteem is like cognitive; it's how we think of something, mm-hmm. but self-worth lives in experience with others. Mm, yeah. He says most of that is created almost like somatically in our bodies when we're young, when we're very young. Yeah. So the roots of self-worth actually are in the body, mm-hmm. are actually emotional. And the and the Optimist Child, this book by Martin Seligman, um, is about that about that mm-hmm. early life research that he's done. So, for example, he says optimistic children think about self-blame in a healthy way. So instead of, he calls it accurate responsibility. Oh, kind of a interesting. Cool term. Yeah. So um, I'm looking at the blanks here, but like an optimistic child takes accurate responsibility, which means she holds herself accountable for what has gone wrong, but doesn't blame herself so much that she feels overwhelmingly guilty. Wow. I needed that as a child. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty good, right? It is. So yeah. like, it's not like unduly shaming people, shaming herself. It's sort of accurately pointing, you know. Yeah, finding a middle ground, yeah. seeing something accurately. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What that's about a, you? What that's you a got? really good wreck. What do I have? All right, <clears throat> I have a book. We, a lot of what we talked about in the very beginning of this conversation was um, kind of talking nicely to yourself, loving yourself, being a friend to yourself, is how Rick Hansen uh, frames it. But there's this book. It's called Your Brain Is Always Listening. It's by Daniel G. Amen. Um. It has some some slightly cheesy uh, dragon slaying metaphors dotted throughout it. But one thing I really like, I think this is cute. He talks about how automatic negative thoughts need to be banished from the brain because they can really set in. And they're they're referred to as ants. (laughs) Uh, Fortunately, ants can be exterminated. And you can do that by asking one question, which is, is it true? And really leaning into, is it true? drilling down on looking for the the evidence that would suggest this negative thought might be true because very often our ants are figments of our imagination. Um, I'm loving this. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so you exterminate ants by asking if they're true. Yeah. I'll try that next time I see them in my kitchen. It's I like love a, it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it, I mean, all this stuff is always flirting with this mindfulness, with the mindfulness thing. And that, you know, thoughts are bubbles, thoughts are trains at the station, Thoughts are weather. Thoughts are weather. We are not our thoughts. Like, you know, default mode network. I mean, these are things we've talked about in in over 55 Simplify episodes of the past multiple times. Six years. Yeah. yeah, Like, what's interesting about the Hansons, I think, is that it's a different approach. Mm. It, it, It takes us to mind, for sure. Be aware of your thoughts. And again, like, deal with where you are, but turn to the good. You can actually intentionally turn your attention onto certain things mm-hmm. and that that makes a difference it makes a difference in your body it makes a difference in your brain mm-hmm. right and it, yeah. it's it's akin like it's it's adjacent to all of these things and i and and he's also there are like big meditators and into the whole mindfulness thing also um yeah 
but they I just like the books phrase. Medita- I mean, Buddha's brain was was a was a big one. Yeah, <laughs> like, I just made like, a face at Ben because I really liked the the term big meditators. <laughs> yeah, you know, big meditators. <laughs> <laughs> All those big meditators out there. Um, but I love that. I love the ants. I love optimistic children. <laughs> I love big spoons. We got a lot of visual. We have a lot of visual elements. Yeah, yeah. big spoons, big ants, optimistic children. <laughs> yeah, uh, we got to, this episode has it all. Uh, all right, I think um, I think that is about it. If you want to hear more really wonderful conversation with Rick and Forrest Hansen, who are just the most lovely humans ever. You can look for the guide in the Blinkist app, and to download the Blinkist app for free for two weeks, you can enter the code Big Spoon. B-I-G-S-P-O-O-N, Big Spoon, all one word. Um, go to Blinkist.com slash friends, enter Big Spoon, get two weeks of Blinkist free, have this simplified deluxe experience with a guide. Yeah, why not bring, bring the Big Spoon? Bring the Big Spoon, chomp it all up. All right, it's so good to be back. And thank you, I didn't say this at the beginning, thank you for all your responses to the listener survey. It meant a lot to get those. I loved reading them. Um, it really brightened our days. There was some funny stuff in there too. People think Ben is handsome and they like my voice a lot. So <laughs> I guess he's the looks and I'm the voice um, of this team. Do you Simplifies, feel objectified? Ben <laughs> Simplify was produced by me, Caitlin Schiller, Ben Schumann-Stoller, Phoebe McIndoo, Ben Jackson, an assortment of excellent audio editors here at Blinkist in Berlin, Germany. I just read that like I'm Michael Barbaro. See you tomorrow. <laughs> just kidding. All right, that's it. Thank you. See you, bye. Check it out. <laughs>